So, page 939 and Romans chapter 1. I'm just going to be reading the first 15 verses. Let me pray before I start to read. Our Lord Jesus, we do want to thank you that when you write the Bible, you want us to know all about Jesus. We pray that we learn about him tonight and that we might learn to trust him because of what we hear. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 1 verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations including those, uh, including you, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at least, at last, succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. And so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also, who are in Rome. Now let me press the pause button there, and uh, we'll pick up... uh, Uh, that in a minute the children are going out to their lessons and we'll pause while they do that. Now if you start yawning you've got no excuse. Right, we're going to start, I tell you what, I'm going to start with the worst question you can ask on the second Sunday of uh, 2018. What is the worst question you can ask? Getting New Year's resolutions. Ah! And that's exactly uh, the question. Uh, how are you doing so far? Because we all start with one. 
or two, don't we? And mostly it's because we're determined to go on the diet or we uh, hate bad habits. But um, well, that was the same as last year, wasn't it? And we gave up last year and we've probably given up already. And that's why I hope you're in the mood for something different tonight. Because tonight, uh, what we want to give you is uh, a gift uh, in verse 11 that will uh, strengthen you. And uh, unlike our New Year's resolutions that fade and get forgotten, uh, this gift is going to get brighter and bigger as we read this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to his friends in Rome. And it's a letter that is going to give us a gift. And let me tell you what the gift is. It's a very simple gift, but we'll take a little bit of time before we properly understand it. And that is the gift of trust. And tonight we're going to get going on this gift and we're going to learn three things about it. First, that it's old. Secondly, that it's personal. And then thirdly, that it is for everyone. We're going to start by seeing how this gift is actually old. And uh, that's where we begin. And while you're looking at that first paragraph of chapter one, let me tell you that I've just started, very excitingly, in the new year, uh, a new course to learn how to use my <coughs> iPhone to take pictures. It's called iPhone Academy. It's a, a big name for a, a very small little thing, really, but that's what I'm trying to learn how to do. And the person who's teaching me how to do it has got to big himself up and ultimately he's got to sell himself as a great expert because he's got to sell himself to sell the course so he knows everything and i'm there that, trying to learn but it's interesting that when the apostle paul starts writing he doesn't set himself up as a star he sets himself up as a servant and he doesn't use the latest techniques he's going to talk to you about the oldest gift and the oldest gift is called the gospel and uh, gospel means good news and in this letter it means gift news that's a gift that was promised long ago in the Bible if you look at verse 2 which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the old in, in in the holy scriptures so when paul talks about trust in his letter he wants to tell you that it's so old that whenever he talks about it and he wants to say hey it's in the bible paul constantly tells you where to find it in the old part of the bible now you'd think that because paul's living after jesus he'd be talking about jesus all the time but he doesn't he's talking about the old part of the bible to make the point that this trust that you can have is something that has stood the test of time that's why it's important for us to see that it's old because old in this case doesn't mean forgotten and replaced with something better 
Old in this case means tried and tested. This gift of trust that Paul wants you to have will not let you down because it's worked with everyone who's tried it in the past before. It's an old gift, this gift of trust. And it's also personal. And uh, when we talk personal, I don't mean personal to you, it depends on you know, personal faith, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about one particular person, Paul's talking about one particular person, he's linking it to the person of Jesus. In verse 3 it tells us it concerns God's, uh, concerning God's Son. And so when the Bible introduces us to something new, it's not introducing us to a new way of life that, uh, well, you might find some really good rules to live your life by. That's not what the Bible is about. It really isn't. When the Bible introduces us to something new, the Bible is introducing us to nothing else apart from a person. And the Bible from the start to the end is just giving you one simple message. Just live your life trusting this person. Would you do that? So Jesus is a, a, a lot more in the Bible than just another religious pop-up figure that turned up and now competes with all the other world religious leaders that you and I have heard about, like Muhammad and the others. Now, yeah, they've popped up and you could say all of them have come and gone. But Jesus, I want to show you how Jesus is different because actually he's been on the cards since the Bible actually started. So way back in time, you see that he is called David's son in verse 4. David was a king that was around a thousand years before Jesus came. But ever since David, they were told, look, uh, just wait, just wait. You've got another king coming that is just like this king, greater than this king. And the drum row started ages before Jesus turned up. And then a thousand years later, as it says in the Christmas carol, once in royal David's city, a mother laid her baby, who is God and Lord of all. Because that's what the Bible has been telling us right from the very beginning. But it's not just past. You won't get the fact that Jesus is Lord of all just from seeing him in a stable. Where you see that is in verse 4 where you see the resurrection. He was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of Holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Now you won't get that about any other religious leader. 
and God says to you, if you want to know what's the difference between Jesus and everything else that you can choose from, God says, let me give you two reasons. One is that he is David's son. In other words, ever since the beginning of the best leadership of my people, you have got a promise that this person will come and take up that role. It's not just a sudden arrival and uh, that's exciting, no. For a thousand years before Jesus came, that is so different to anything else. But the second reason God would give you is because he would say to you, look, I resurrected him from the dead. I've done that with absolutely nobody else because frankly I don't want you to get confused about who you should trust. So I've only done it with one person. Now you don't need to go and worry about uh, who you might uh, put that trust in. So Christianity is ultimately a straight choice about who you will trust. Because the alternative to trusting Jesus ultimately is not the other world religions. Ultimately, the, the alternative you don't want to trust Jesus is you trust yourself. And that's exactly what uh, the world religions do, don't they? They say, look, we're going to give you certain tips on how to live and you've got to then go and live that way. In other words, trust yourself to follow our rules and regulations that we give you. We'll have some bright ideas, you've got to go and do them. You put in the effort, you're trusting yourself. But uh, there is another way to live. This is the new way to live that the Bible opens up for us. Live trusting the Lord Jesus. Now, groups like uh, um, Cocaine Anonymous and uh, uh, Alco Alcoholics Anonymous, I think, uh, uh, have clocked this perhaps better than a lot of people. Because for those groups, they don't think you can fight addiction by just learning some clever tips on how to live. You talk of trusting a higher power than yourself. Now you've got to trust something bigger than you. The only problem is, in those groups, is that you get to define who your higher power might be. And what the Bible tells you is you don't. God has made the choice and he has given us reasons why we understand that Jesus is uh, the the Son of God in power. Any other higher power isn't actually a higher power because if you're going to ultimately dream up a higher power, whatever keeps you happy, ultimately that's coming out of you. That's an invention out of your own head and that's not a high power. That's ultimately back to trusting yourself and the high power that you choose. <coughs> that you want to have. Whereas the Bible tells us that uh, God has given us one choice. He resurrected Jesus in power 
and there is no other higher power apart from then trusting ourselves if we don't accept that but trust him that's what is unique and if you think about it this is something that actually all of us need to do because think with me about this for a minute think if I'm right or not but isn't it true that actually all of us want to be led and that's ultimately how our society is structured isn't it there are tiers of leadership we're always looking to trust someone to take responsibility and to lead us in what we do and we expect great things of our leaders I mean even though all those of us who are older and we've been around the clock a few times and another election comes along and we've heard it all before and we've seen it all before and yet we get excited because we just wonder whether this new leader might be able to do something for us the others haven't been able to do I don't know have others felt the excitement that was in the air when Barack Obama became president of America and people actually spoke about him as a, as a saviour. Here was a leader who was at last going to be something really different from anybody else. What about Nelson Mandela? Now you would remember Nelson Mandela, but actually all of us were massively excited. Here was someone who was going to do big things for South Africa. And I think for us in our country, I guess, it's a bit old hat these days, but Winston Churchill, I suppose, was the one that everybody looked to lead them through the war. They needed a leader at that time. Is that right, Sue? Yes. <laughs> Verona. <laughs> uh, I suppose, yes. Yeah, we must, much, much, must mention the first woman. Uh, <laughs> Margaret Thatcher was the first woman, but actually, to. to to, uh, to, 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 to balance that out a bit, I think actually when Tony Blair won his landslide victory, everybody thought here was a new politician that was going to be again different for us. And, to, and, and, and in the early days there was just so much promise. But here we are, you see, we've got these fresh young men that we trusted and certainly all of them had strengths. But now what? All forgotten. We remember, in many cases, how we've been misled into the war in Iraq and so on. But all those leaders actually show us something that is deep inside each of us, which is that we, all of us, want to be led, need to be led. And what we need to see from the Bible is that we actually have got only one leader who can fulfill that role and that is we need to be led by trusting Jesus and then the third thing that it's not just uh, personal um, uh, and uh, that we long for a leader but also it's for everyone it is interesting if you look at verse 5 the Paul says that he's received this uh, apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith that is really the obedience that comes from trusting Jesus 
and is wanting to do that for the sake of his name among all the nations that's every single person on the planet now that's actually a very big claim isn't it to say that actually this is for every single person that there is isn't it uh, a bit much to say that surely it's better to say look we're all different on this planet so what works for you well I'm glad it works for you and what works for me might just be different and that works for me let's let's give each other the scope to, tr the scope to trust different things and yet Paul says no every single person in the world is to be brought into what he calls the obedience of faith that is the new life that comes from trusting the person that we follow and before you say no that really is too big a claim let me just ask you to notice one thing that it works because Paul is writing to a mixture of two groups in this place called Rome and he's writing to two groups of people who were exactly the opposite of each other uh, there were the Jews and in verse 2 they had the Bible they had the scriptures and they thought everybody else was pretty clueless and there were the Gentiles who hated their arrogance and there were these two groups that were loggerheads with each other that's the ancient world okay these two groups that massively massively hated each other they were at opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to getting on and yet now in this one church these two groups are now together and Paul gives them a kind of combo title that you can see in verse 7 he calls them saints now that's a very very interesting word can you see that to all those in Rome who are loved by God that is both sides now together loved by God and called to be saints now that's a very interesting word because actually that's a word that was only used of people who are real believers of God in the Old Testament now in those days they were racially one group they were all part of the Jewish nation they were called saints Ah, we think that saints are uh, a kind of <coughs> hall of fame uh, that's there for very select people who are long now who are now dead but Paul says no 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 this word saints actually belong to one group of people they were real believers of God in the Old Testament but now although they were in those days one racial group now different international people have come through from amongst the nations they've been grafted in to this old group and now all of them get that title that was special for God's people in the Old Testament they were called saints and all the rest Paul calls them Gentiles in verse 14, uh, 13 all who follow Jesus are saints living and following him and trusting him and the rest are Gentiles that's the word in the New Testament for non-Christians 
And Paul wants this obedience of faith, this new life, trusting Jesus. He wants it for absolutely everyone. And that's why in verse 14 he says he is under obligation to everyone, both Greeks and to barbarians. He is under obligation to go and tell them about uh, the good news, the gift news in verse 15. Now how does that work? In what sense do you owe it to somebody to tell them something? I mean you, you owe it to someone if you owe them some money, we, we all can understand that, but what do we mean to owe it to someone to tell them something? But just think like this, if you've been given a message, not just for you, but you've been given a message for somebody else, until you tell them what that message is, you owe it to them. You are under obligation in that way. And so Paul says that he is under obligation because this group is for everyone. Greeks, barbarians, wise, foolish, absolutely right across the spectrum. This new life of trust is absolutely for all. Now what does that mean for us uh, living uh, a while uh, back uh, in, uh, in our uh, lives in Dagnum? Well I want to suggest it means three things. First, if Christianity is all a bit new to you, I wonder if a new angle of looking at it might be this that you look at what the Bible says tonight and think about it and get in touch with yourself if I can put it like that to find out if what is said here makes sense to you and ask yourself the greatest need that you need at the moment in your life is to be led you need a leader to lead you. That is actually what the Bible says your need is. And I'm hoping that as you think about it, it'll make sense to you because I imagine that all of us, the biggest hurts that we've ever had in our lives have come from people who've misled us after we've trusted them. And God says, I don't want that to happen to you, so I'm going to give you someone who you can trust. This one person, the Lord Jesus. I want you to live trusting him. And I'm not going to ask you to do that just uh, by, by telling you. I'm going to ask you to do that on the grounds that I have actually shown you there is only, I've shown the world there's only one person that gets the spotlight of history. All those years wanting people to look to him, setting up for his arrival in that way so people will understand how they are to treat him when he comes, like David. But at the same time, I have resurrected him from the dead to show that actually he is the future. 
He is the God, not just of, the, of, of history of the past, of your future. Please, tonight, will you start a new life trusting his leadership and following him? What happens if you've been to church lots? And again, I want to suggest to you that uh, the way uh, it works, I think, in many churches is that, yes, you go and you sit there and you hear things, but mainly you're hearing things that tell you to trust yourself. You get a checklist of things that you've got to do to make life work properly. And really, there are things that you've got to go off and do. And there's a Christian form of religion that tells you that's how the game is played. So if you go, for example, to the Roman Catholic Church, there are holy days of obligations and there's this and that and off you go and you have to do them. And sadly, the Church of England has followed it and that's, that's largely how the Church of England tells you to get on as well, especially the Church of England on this estate, which is pretty much Roman Catholic. But it's not just the old historic churches like the Roman Catholic Church and the Church of England, but even the new arrivals, the Black Pentecostal churches, they are going to tell you to do certain things and they'll give you the list and you tick the boxes in order to uh, live life the way God wants you to. And it's mostly to do with how you spend your Sunday and what you do in church when you get there. But what we therefore need to do is when we understand what uh, the Bible tells us is that God is opening to us a very different door, a very new door that is to live not trusting yourself in the end but trusting Jesus. And we'll never enter into this new door until we leave the old door behind and realize this is nothing to do with trusting myself. I've really got to put that behind me and start getting <coughs> new thinking into my mind about how I'm going to trust Jesus when it comes to pleasing God. We'll see that as we go through the letter in uh, future weeks. But it may be thirdly that you're tired of hearing of uh, different things and doing your best and getting nowhere the kind of equivalent of New Year's resolutions and uh, new start that you want and it never happens, always disappoints and it's left you feeling useless every time you've tried it in the past. I want to point out verse 11 and to leave you with verse 11 and that is that God wants to and Paul wants to give you a new spiritual gift and that spiritual gift is trust. And Christian encouragement in verse 12 is about growing this trust in each other. So when we want to encourage each other, we're not going to drive each other to say you've got to go and do various things. We're always going to be in conversation about what we put our trust in. So for example, you might tell me, Mike, uh, uh, you've now got to go and spend this new week reading your Bible. That's a good and important thing to do. 
Actually, we don't talk to each other like that. What we might say to each other is, look, let's think about what we're trusting here. <coughs> what do you think we're trusting if we don't study the Bible? Aren't we going to end up trusting what we get up to and how we can work stuff out? Do we really want to be doing that? Why don't you put, do something, put your trust on what the Lord Jesus is like and what he has done for you and start your day wanting to grow in your understanding of that so that your trust in him increases. Our job with each other is to mutually encourage each other to trust, talking about that in our conversations where <coughs> we want to encourage the obedience that comes from faith. Now, that's not just something we do here. You know it's the DNA of our church to take this news out to the estate. It's not because Beckentry Church has this special peculiarity that we want to go and meet everybody on our estate and tell them. It is actually because we have in our church an obligation. We've been given something and we're in debt because that thing that we've been given is for other people who live around us. And until we put it into their hands, what they do with it after that, of course, is not up to us. But until we get this message to them, we are under an obligation. We owe them. And so we can't stop until we go around and do this as best we can, as fully as we can, to everyone. It's not just for us. Now, <clears throat> I'm hoping we'll have time to think about this a bit more on Tuesday night. Come and join the chat on Tuesday. We have a meal at 7 o'clock and then we have a little Bible study afterwards. And we've got sheets of paper with three questions on, I think, that you might just like to have a look at and answer as a result of what we've been looking at tonight. So we'll have more time to uh, look at this in a bit more detail on uh, Tuesday. We've got time for questions and answers a little bit tonight. But before we get there, let's each of us individually, privately, quietly ask for God's help to grow this gift of trust in the Lord Jesus. <coughs> and uh, let's, for a moment, spend one minute in silence, individually talking to God about what he is telling us tonight from the Bible and respond to him in that way. Let's pray. Well, maybe <coughs> I can uh, finish by praying one prayer that really is a thank you prayer that I can say for all of us. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that trusting you is something the Bible has always encouraged your people to do. And we thank you that trusting you means trusting the Lord Jesus to lead us. And we thank you that you give us this gift, but you don't just give it to us. You give it to everyone and send us to them. So at the start of this new year, we pray that you would please help us to grow 
our trust in you to grow it in each other and to grow it around our estate and we pray for this for the glory of the Lord Jesus and for his name Amen. Amen.